Bug Jargal by Victor Hugo, Chapter 42 We left the camp of the Negroes of Morn Rouge. I was astonished and walking free in this barbarous camp, where each man seemed to thirst for my blood. Far from seeking to bar our progress, the Negroes and the mulattoes prostrated themselves on all sides, with exclamations of surprise, joy, and respect. I was ignorant what rank Pierrot held in the army of the insurgents, but I remembered the influence that he used to exercise over his companions in slavery, and this appeared to me to account for the respect with which he was treated by his comrades in rebellion. On our arrival at the guard before the grotto of Biasu, the mulatto Condi, their chief, advanced before us with threatening gestures, demanding how we dared approach so near the general. But when he came near enough to recognize the features of Piero, he hurriedly removed his gold-laced cap, as though terrified at his own audacity, bowed to the ground, and introduced us into Biasu's presence with a thousand apologies, to which Piero only answered by a disdainful gesture. The respect with which the simple Negro soldiers had treated Piero excited my surprise very little. But seeing Condi, one of the principal officers, humiliate himself thus before my uncle's slave, I began to ask myself who this man could be whose power was illimitable. How much more astonished was I then when I saw the general, who was alone when we entered and was quietly enjoying his callaloo, rise precipitately out of respect to Pierrot, but concealing disappointment and surprise under the appearance of profound respect, also bow humbly to my companion and offer him his mahogany throne. Pierrot declined it. Jean Biasu, said he, I have not come to take your place, but simply to ask a favor at your hands. Alteza, answered Biasu, redoubling his obeisances. You know well that all Jean Biasu has is yours, and that you can dispose of all that belongs to Biasu of Jean Biasu himself. This title of Alteza, which is equivalent to that of Highness, given to Piero by Biasu, also increased my astonishment. I do not ask for so much, replied Piero quickly. I only ask you for the life and liberty of this prisoner. He pointed to me. Biasu appeared embarrassed, but he speedily recovered himself. Your servant is in despair, Alteza. You ask of him, to his great regret, more than he can grant. This prisoner is not Jean Biasu's, does not belong to Jean Biasu, and Jean Biasu has nothing to do with him. What do you mean? asked Pierrot, in severe tones. To whom does he belong, then? Is there another power here than you? Alas, yes, Alteza. Who is it? My army. The sly and obsequious manner in which Biasu eluded the frank and haughty questions of Pierrot showed that he was determined to accord only the respect which he was compelled. What? exclaimed Pierrot. Your army, and do you not command it? Biasu, reserving his advantage, without giving up, however, his attitude of inferiority, replied with every appearance of sincerity, Does your highness really think that we can command men who are in insurrection because they will not obey? I cared too little for my life to break the silence, 
but having seen the day before the despotic authority of Biasu over his men, I could have contradicted his assertions and laid bare his duplicity. Piero continued, Ah, well, if you have no authority over your army, and if your soldiers are your masters, what reason can they have for hating your prisoner? Buckman has been killed by the government troops, answered Biasu, endeavoring to conceal his sardonic smile under a mask of sorrow. And my men are determined to avenge upon this white the death of the chief of the Jamaica Negroes. They wish to compare trophy against trophy, and that the head of this young officer should serve as a counterpoise to the head of Buckman in the scales in which the bon Dieu weighs both parties. How can you suggest these horrible reprisals? Listen to me, Jean Biasu. It is these cruelties that ruin our just cause. Prisoner as I was in the camp of the whites, from which I have managed to escape, I had not heard of the death of Buckman until you told me. It is the just punishment of heaven for his crime. I will tell you another piece of news. Jeannot, the Negro chief who served as a guide to draw the white troops into the ambush of Don Molat, Jeannot also is dead. You know, do not interrupt me, Biasu, that he rivaled you and Buckman in his atrocities. Now pay attention to this. It was not the thunderbolt of heaven, nor the bullets of the whites that struck him. It was Jean-Francois himself who ordered this act of justice to be performed. Biasu, who had listened with an air of gloomy respect, uttered an exclamation of surprise. At this moment, Rigaud entered, bowed respectfully to Pierrot, and whispered in Biasu's ear. The murmur of many voices was heard in the camp. Pierrot continued, Yes, Jean-Francois, who had no fault except a preposterous love of luxury and show, whose carriage with its six horses takes him every day to hear mass at the Grande Riviere. Jean-Francois himself has put a stop to the crimes of Jeannot. In spite of the cowardly entreaties of the brigand, who clung in despair to the knees of the priest of Marmalade, who attended him in his last moments, he was shot beneath the very tree upon which he used to hang his living victims upon iron hooks. Biasu, think of this. Why these massacres which provoke the whites to cruelty? Why use these juggleries which only tend to excite the passions of our unhappy comrades, already too much exasperated? There is at Trucofi a mulatto impostor, called Romain the Prophet, who is in command of a fanatical band of Negroes. He profanes the holy sacraments of the Mass. He pretends that he is in direct communication with the Virgin, from whom he has the oracles by putting his head in the tabernacle. And he urges on his men to murder and pillage in the name of Marie. There was a more tender inflection in the voice of Piero as he uttered this name than even religious respect would have warranted. I do not know why, but I felt annoyed and irritated at it. Ah, well, and you, continued the slave, you have in your camp some obi, I hear, some impostor like this Romain the prophet. I well know that having to lead an army composed of men from all countries, from all families, of all colors, a common bond is necessary. 
but can it be found nowhere save in ferocious fanaticism and ridiculous superstition? Believe me, Biasu, the white men are not so cruel as we are. I have seen many planters protect the lives of their slaves. I am not ignorant that in some cases it was not the life of a man, but a sum of money, but, at any rate, their interests gave them the appearance of a virtue. Do not let us be less merciful than they are, for it is in our interest to be so. Will our cause be more holy and more just because we exterminate the women, slaughter the children, and burn the colonists in their own houses? These, however, are everyday occurrences. Answer me, Biasu. Must the traces of our progress be always marked by a line of blood and fire? He ceased. The fire of his glance, the accent of his voice, gave to his words a force of conviction and authority which it is impossible for me to imitate. Like a fox caught by a lion, with eyes lowered, Biasu seemed to seek for some means of escape from the power that constrained him. Whilst he vainly sought for a pretext, Rigaud, the chief of the Negroes of K, whom the evening before had calmly watched the horrors that had been perpetrated in his presence, seemed to be shocked at the picture that Pierrot had drawn, and exclaimed, with a hypocritical affectation of grief, "'Great heavens! How terrible is a nation when roused to fury!'